Hi, welcome to the Indie Wine Podcast. This is episode 14. My name is Matt Wood, and I recently sat down with Adam Saki of Perch Wine Company to talk about his journey in wine and life. Adam is a Sacramento native who's worked harvest in Chile and New Zealand, as well as El Dorado and Amador counties in the Sierra foothills of California. We discuss his love for Sacramento, learning from others, some of the vineyards he's working with, and how we can best support a small independent winemaker like himself and many of the others that appear on this podcast. We originally tried to record on the roof at Franquette, which is a great little wine bar and cafe in West Sacramento. Try the quiche, it's delicious. But because of some music at the park across the street, we relocated to Adam's home and had a great discussion. Here we go. Unconventional Sauvignon Blanc that's entered into a new realm that's and it's totally delicious. Wish I made more of it. Like the, the Syrah when I, when I had that. Yeah. That, that was the one that was like, oh, this is. Which which vintage was that? 21. The 21. Yeah. yeah. Cool. But like, especially as it opened up, like being open for a, yeah, a couple day, hours. Day, day, day two, day three on that wine is like. Is it? If okay. you can wait that long. I, I did not, but I waited like four hours yeah. or something. Yeah, that wine is, um, I really like the wine a lot. And it took me a moment to love the wine because I picked it a little earlier than I wanted to. Okay. You know, we were talking earlier about talking about sort of being at the mercy of, you know, other people's pick dates, you know, and for different reasons that were, you know, beyond, beyond me um, and my control, I was able to pick uh, that vineyard, the Bailey vineyard and, um, which is, it's about, you know, 28, 2900 feet elevation, mm-hmm. um, uh, in, you know, kind of close to the town of volcano there. So it's in the, it's in the Amador, uh, AVA, the big Amador AVA, but it's, it's neither in the fiddle town nor in the Shenandoah Valley AVA. And so it's pretty high up there. It's a pretty wild and kind of feral and interesting vineyard I, and wild and feral. I mean that like kind of the area and kind of like getting up there. And, uh, yeah. And so like, so in 20, so I made the first wine in 19 and I just kind of was given the fruit, you know, I piggybacked on a pick and just kind of mm-hmm. showed up and, and took my bin. And then in 20 and 21, I actually, I picked my own fruit. Okay. So I called my own pick. So yeah, I picked those wines a little, picked that fruit a little earlier, you know, mm-hmm. the 20 vintage I thought was stellar, you know, um, I, you know, it took a little time for it to kind of warm up, but I think that wine is drinking really, really great. And it's like a super interesting wine. And then 21 was the Caldor fire. And so I ended up picking the Syrah and the Zinfandel kind of like right around the same sugars, which was like, I think just way earlier than I would have normally picked it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, uh, those wines ended up being, you know, very low alcohol and the ripeness, you know, wasn't, where I personally would have, would have, would have liked it. Like, I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have chosen that. Like if you asked me to do it again, you know, um, but I'm extremely proud of those wines and the Zinfandel in particular did really well for me in terms of audience, like sort of like tasting that wine and being like, oh, wow, like this is, this is so interesting because we're so used to Zinfandel kind of tasting like this and having this sort of style and, and being in this sort of style. And then people sort of being like, wow, this is like, it's like high acid and there's like still fruit. And it's like, you know, people, a lot of people were like, it just kind of reminds me of like drinking like, like Beaujolais or something like Mm -hmm. that, which I thought was kind of interesting because 
a buddy of mine, um, a buddy of mine and I are, are sort of really interested in some of the older Chez Panisse menus and, mm, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, they've always been, Chez Panisse has always been, um, like a huge proponent of Zinfandel. Yeah. Like they've always had Zinfandel on the menu. It's, it's always been, been there like house, house wine. wine. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, it's Chez Panisse is sort of, um, historically tied into like the evolution and, um, sort of the, the history of, of, um, of Zinfandel and they had, um, uh, they had a, a Zinfandel Nouveau dinner. Hmm. So it's, it's just kind of funny that like, you know, and, and my buddy, um, Tyler, he, he has a, uh, he has a brand called commune and he made some, uh, so he made a, a Zinfandel Nouveau and he put like the Nouveau stamp on the labels really neat. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, I wasn't trying to make a Nouveau style wine, you know what I mean? Again, but just we, you and I were sort of briefly talking about this, how, there's just these circumstances that happen that affect how the wine turns out that are that aren't necessarily like in your control, mm-hmm. um, and they're not necessarily these like super like thought out, drawn out, um, calculated decisions, and um, they end up having a, an effect on the wine, and sometimes that is negative, <laughs> you know, sure. and the wine is like messed up, and you're like, wow, that's that's really. That's terrible. Well, like fire and things like that. Exactly. There's no, there's no yeah. accounting for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then sometimes it works out, you know, if luck is on your side, because I really do think it has to do, a lot to do with, with luck in a lot of ways. Sometimes luck is on your side, you know? And I think, so I think that, I think the Zinfandel turned out really great. And so the Zim, the, the Syrah, you know, it just, it was, I mean, I didn't release it at first because I was like, I don't know how people are going to receive this, you know, but in time, you know, it's really I, it's really grown on me personally, and I, I I think the wine's really neat, you know, and mm-hmm. it's taught me a lot about what the vineyard can do, you know, and what sort of flavors and aromatics that the wine has that I wouldn't have picked out at higher sugars. So it's been, it's, yeah, every every single year that I make wine is is a lesson for me. You know, I'm at mm-hmm. the very beginning of my career. So it's like I, I, I'm always, I'm learning something new every single time I make a wine, you know. So it's not like I don't like this, this podcast isn't going to be me sitting here talking about like, you know, oh, for the past 30 years, I've learned (laughs) that here's what the vineyards do. And both like, that's just not what that's just not my story at this moment in time. Like my story is, is is about learning from the wines and learning Mm -hmm. from the vineyards and learning kind of what I'm doing and where I'm going and what works and what doesn't. And, and, you know, um, what, what, what I want from the wines and what people want from the wines and how those two things intersect. And, you know, so, but yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm happy that I'm happy that you like the, the, the 2022, you know, fingers crossed, of course, I, I, as I always say, there's plenty of time to plenty of time to fuck it up, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, the 2022, uh, Syrah is like just unreal, you know, it's just like picked it Riper, you know, I, I was on, I was on a, I piggybacked on a pick. So again, okay. I didn't call that one. So everybody kind of wanted to pick Riper. And so I just was like, Hey, I'm just grateful to get fruit again, frost. So like that vineyard was like, here's what's available to you. And I was, and you know, I was like, great. As long I was like, if I'm getting fruit, I'm happy. I don't care if like, if it comes in at, you know, 25, 26, whatever, like, I'm just happy to get fruit. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make the best wine I can from it. And it just like, I mean, just at those sugars, like the vineyard is just like, like just firing on all cylinders. So I'm ex- really excited to bottle that and like put that, put that out in mm-hmm. the world because I, you know, part of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like, be like, Hey, like 
I work with these vineyards for a reason, right? Like if I made mm-hmm. the wine in one year and then I didn't like it, I'm not going to come back to it. But if I make the wine and I go, wow, dude, that's so great. Like I'm not going to deviate from that. I want to stick. And that's kind of what most winemakers do, right? Like you find a great vineyard source and like, you're not just like, oh, well, I'm already bored and I'm going to go find another vineyard. It's like, you're like, whoa, like this is, this makes like killer, killer wine from this vineyard. And so you want to stick with it. And I, and so I want to, I want to show people like, Hey, like these vineyards that I'm working with make really great wine. And here's why, like it's the proof is in the pudding, you know? How'd you get into that Bailey vineyard? How did you find that out was, about that it? was, that was all Tegan. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, Tegan has a, um, Tegan bought property, um, up in volcano mm-hmm. and, um, and he just put rootstock in the ground and that's, he's been working on that for, for the past however many years. I don't, I've lost track of time at this point, but he's been mm-hmm. working on it for at least, you know, two or three years. Yeah, definitely since 2020, for sure. I think I think he bought the property in 20, if I remember correctly. So I was working for Turley uh, in 2000. I worked at Harvest in 18, and then I worked a full year there in 19. And um, I think he kind of already had his eye like on Volcano. Like he was mm-hmm. like, this is a spot where I want to make wine from. I think it's like super neat. Like the soils are cool. Like it's like it's great it's high, high elevation, elevation. Yeah. and i think he kind of already had his had his eye on it and um him and i were just kind of getting to know each other and like you know he was my boss and and so like you know we you know he knew that i wanted to make my own wine that was like that was that was the goal you know i was kind of done working internships at that point so turley was the first like full-time job that i had where i worked a full year you know from like um from beginning to end really if you will from for uh for for a vintage, um, cause mm-hmm. I got to see the 18s, you know, go into bottle, you know, and I made those wines and then I got to, you know, make the 19s and kind of see those all the way through, you know, until, you know, until the winter. So, um, so just kind of really kind of getting to know the, like the vineyard a little bit more and kind of having that time. So, so Tegan and I were and Nick Finarelli, the winemaker um, at the, uh, um, facility in Plymouth, the winery in mm-hmm. Plymouth. And Nick is a super good buddy. He's like such a good dude. It was just really great working with him. Um, and so the three of us are driving around Volcano and we had stopped at some point and he kind of points up, you know, he goes, he goes, yeah. he goes, you see that vineyard up there? And I was like, yeah, he's like, that's the Bailey vineyard, you know, like let's, it's was called Wind Dance Farm, Wind Dance Farms. Ken Bailey is the, the owner of that. And, you know, Tegan was like, hey, like, you know, you should make a, you should make wine from there, you know? And it was like this, I mean, I was like, I wasn't planning on doing that. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't think that I was going to be able to make, to make wine, you know? And so, you know, from, from, you know, for myself, like kind of that early on in my, at my time there. And, and so I was just like kind of, you know, dumbfounded. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I would love to. And so it just kind of like set the, set the wheels in motion for that. And that was the first year that I made, made that wine. And that wine is, is fantastic. So I just made a barrel of that. Um, and then that's kind of, that kind of started the whole perch, um, project kind of in motion, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you have, you have the wine and you started with the one Syrah for the first year. Exactly. I mean, that's, it was special for me to, to be able to, you know, to make that barrel of wine there, you mm-hmm. know, it just doesn't really that's just not how it works. Right. Like when you're, when you're working for another winery, yeah. like you, you know, and I, I just think that it was, I think that Tegan just kind of knew, he knew that like, that's something that I really wanted. And I was, 
you know, I, I had worked really hard to get to that point where, you know, where I was, you know, I'd worked multiple internships, kind of as many as I could in the, in like a three, three to four year period. And so I think he just kind of, he just knew that that was something that I, that was like important to me. And so he, I think that he sort of like kind of put, put that out there for me, like, and, mm -hmm. and I'm super grateful for that, but yeah, so that's kind of how, that's kind of how that happened. And I, so yeah, it was just a one barrel, you know, but it, but th th working there was like, you know, I got to, you know, I made, I'm, we made Vermentino, you know, which mm -hmm. I totally love. Like I love Foothills Vermentino. I've yep. always, always loved Foothills Vermentino, um, which I'm really hoping to make, you know, one day, like I'd love, I'd love to make, I'd love to make some Vermentino from the Foothills. It just hasn't, the cards haven't, haven't presented themselves yet, or it's just not in the cards or whatever. So, um, uh, so, you know, I learned a little bit about, you know, barrel fermenting white wine, mm -hmm. um, you know, Turley makes Sauvignon Blanc as well. And that's also barrel fermented. And so, you know, this Sauvignon Blanc that we're drinking, I, I, this is a barrel fermented white wine. So, you know, those lessons that I learned from, from working there were, you know, have a lot of those lessons that I learned at Turley have informed, you know, kind of directly how I make the wines, you know, for a perch in, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So. Yeah, you did a, a a couple different harvest internships, right? And yeah, I'm sure you've taken you feel yourself kind of remembering and, and taking from each of those winemakers that you oh yeah that you've worked with and, yeah absolutely and helped out. And also, you know, you you in in certain ways. I mean, not not with everybody, but there's things that you remember that are very like they're 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 very like rudimentary. So you're like you're kind of looking back on your internships and you're going like okay, like what I was, what I was doing was like that internship and kind of what I learned from that was like, that was like ground zero, right? That mm -hmm. was like the very like bottom of the foundation that was being built. And so you look back on those and you're like, oh, cool. Like that was neat to be able to like learn that and like get, get that information and be able to learn from that person and like whatever. But it's not like, I don't look back on, on some of those internships and go like, oh, that's right. We did that this way. And now I remember that and like, and so I'm going to apply that to what I'm doing. It's like, I feel like it's kind of like once you're, once you sort of advance your knowledge, um, I was talking to someone about this the other day that, that if you, I wish I would have known this then, but I guess you can't really know that then because you know it later, but it's like, it's really important to ask like the right questions, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you mm -hmm. have an audience with somebody, it's like, if you're able to ask somebody questions, that's like very knowledgeable and you only have a limited amount of time with them, it's important to know how to ask like the, the, the right kinds of questions. And, um, and I didn't know that then. So I feel like in retrospect, I wish I could have, you know, I worked with certain winemakers and I wish, I wish I just knew, I wish I knew how to ask like the, the kinds of questions that I would want the information, you know, now in this moment when I'm making wines, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, I wish I would have, I wish I would have asked how to, you know, how does the fermentation work when you're doing this? Or, you know, like how many, you know, are you doing punch downs or pump overs or, or when, you know, how's your cap management or like, you know, things like that, like things that I'm curious about um, now, but yeah, the, the, you know, I feel like every single internship that I worked and again, I were coming, coming back to luck, you know, like I definitely was calculated in who I was working for and where I went for various different reasons. But also um, I kind of just followed my gut you know, because I kind of didn't really know, like, mm -hmm. I'm not, I wasn't that I just wasn't the type of person that was like, oh, like, I'm going to go try to work for like Shav, you know, like in the Rhone or something or yeah. like, or I'm going to go, you know, try to work for like, you know, I'm going to go try to work in Burgundy or whatever. Like, 
you know, I, I, I feel like I, for a moment there, I kind of was like trying to sort of get some internships with some like really well-known people. But at the end of the day, I sort of was like, what am I, what's my end goal? You know, mm-hmm. my end goal isn't like, was not, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to work for myself, that I wanted my own brand. So like in, in a lot of ways, right? Like if you're, if your end goal is to like start your own thing, like then your resume doesn't really matter. Your resume matters yeah. when you're applying for a job, right? So I knew that early on. I was like, okay, like maybe maybe so-and-so in the wine industry is like, oh, like you work for these people and they're like, they're not as cool or like they're not as well-known or they're not as famous or whatever as these people. But like, why does that matter? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it yeah. does matter in the sense that maybe people might look at my resume, like listening to this podcast or like look at my resume in, in interviews that I've done and been like, oh, like, he worked for so-and-so and so-and-so and like, so maybe the wines are just okay or whatever, you know? And like, sure, people can draw that conclusion if they want, but like, I don't, I don't know about those people. Like, I'm not trying to, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I'm not, I can't worry about those people. And so I just, I knew that the resume wasn't the thing that I was shooting for is what I'm trying to say. So it was more about what felt good. Who did mm-hmm. I want to be around? Who did I want to work with? Also, I wanted to travel. So it was like, where do I want to go and what place do I want to see and what sounds neat? And cause I, I, I kind of, what, what I told myself in the beginning was, um, you know, I'm going to start this journey and it's going to take me years to get to the point where I'm making wine for myself. And so when I get to the point where I'm making wine for myself, there might be a possibility where like I start making wine and it's stressful and it's, not enjoyable. And I'm like, man, this is terrible. And like, things aren't going well. And like, I don't think that this is like the path for me. And so like, I just wanted to make sure that like, that it was really about the journey and not about the destination. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep, so I was like, exactly. So I was, that was on my mind all the time, you know? And I, and so, you know, other people might look that, look back and, and, or might hear this and say, you know, oh, that's kind of like a shitty way to like do internships because you should be aiming to like work with people who are going to teach you all these amazing things and you're going to learn from them. And it shouldn't just be about like where you want to travel to, but it's like, I, like I did both. <laughs> like I like a hundred, hundred percent did both. Like I worked with soup. I worked with, um, Auntie Lahara, um, and Felipe, uh, Somaniac from Aquitania in South America, like two just insanely talented and very well-respected enologists and winemakers. And I worked for Dieter Kronji um, in, um, the central coast at, at, at Presqu'ile mm-hmm. and Dieter's just so awesome and so talented and, um, you know, Dujac, you know, consults for them. And so like, you know, you're kind of, there was, you know, sort of that, that thing happening there. So that was kind of neat to sort of be a part of that at that moment and just kind of see what was happening there. And, you know, I worked for Tegan and I worked for, um, some really interesting people in, in New Zealand. And so, yeah, I mean, I, like I got to do, I got to do both. So it yeah. was just, it was great. Like it was, I couldn't, I just don't think, I don't think that I look back on that, on that time. And I just, I just wouldn't, I really wouldn't have changed anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't look back on it and go like, oh, like I should have done this differently. or I should have done that differently. It's like, it really is just, it really just worked out so beautifully. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm, I miss it. It's, it's like traveling and making wine <laughs> is awesome, <laughs> you know, and some people still yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you've got some different projects that are, you know, they're doing some, you know, international stuff and they're doing yeah. their domestic stuff, you know? And, um, and that's, that's like super neat, you know? So it's like, people are still, still kind of chasing the, the winemaking bug, like around the world. And like, I've, I've considered it, but it's just maybe not the right time. 
I was going to backtrack a, a little bit, but you grew up in, in Sacramento and lived here your entire life pretty much, except for the, the traveling and absolutely. Yeah. Sacramento is, um, is a, is like super, super like near and dear to my heart. You know, I'm like sort of obnoxiously like prideful, like of how, of, of being a Sacramentan, you know, that's good. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all about the hometown. Totally. Home, yeah. Home I mean, team. I, <laughs> I, I love, I love Sacramento so much. Like it's, it's my home. My family lives here. Um, my friends are here and everything that I've ever wanted to do, like passion wise, like any project, any interest that I've had from playing music to making art, uh, writing, you know, making things like any creative project I've ever pursued, Sacramento has just totally supported me, you know, um, with the creative arts, like not so much financially, like, because it's like, you know, it's being an artist is, is, is hard. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's hard, it's hard to make money. And it's, it's unfortunate. Like I wish, I wish that artists could exist, not just in Sacramento, but like in lots of places, I wish more artists could make money yeah, making work and actually like doing the work and having the time to do that. And it wasn't mm -hmm. such a struggle for them. I would have pursued that honestly, but I just, I don't know. I just, it, I, I think that, I think that I, I, I loved making art, but I, I, I think at a certain point I just realized that it just like, wasn't like my calling, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But Sacramento has always supported me. And, and so I always talk about it in the sense that I've like, you know, lived kind of two lives in Sacramento. Um, the first life that I lived was this life of music and the creative arts and, and being involved in a, in, a, in a lot of that culture and a lot of that scene here in town. And that was so fulfilling and so rad. And there was just so many great things that happened and so many opportunities that I, um, that I had. And then, you know, kind of once I turned 30, then like the next decade of my life was sort of like all about travel and then travel sort of then bled into winemaking, which then was also about travel. And so I did, I was like kind of focused on that for a long time. And, and, and now I'm kind of at this point now, like I'm about to be 40 in, in a couple months. So it's like, the, you know, I'm kind of finishing like another decade of my life and it's, mm -hmm. and it's kind of gotten me to this point, which is really exciting. But Sacramento has just supported me so much. Like, it's just wild. Like I sell a lot of the wines, like just in, in town, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. um, and that's really special. And, and so, yeah, so, you know, um, it's just to me. You know, I, I always talk about like practicing gratitude because I can't do anything other than that, like most of the time. But, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful for for the opportunity to be able to live in the, the, the city that I love, which is not a wine growing town. Mm -hmm. Like, w yes, we have the Delta, which is not too far away. And there there are vineyards in Sacramento County. Shout out to Craig Harmeyer <laughs> um, and to and to all the other uh, Sacramento County um, winemakers. There are vineyards, but you know, there's, this isn't a winemaking town. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, if you, if you go to UC Davis and you get a, vit, uh, you know, a degree in viticulture and enology, like you don't usually like stick around, you know, mm -hmm. you probably go move to like those wine growing regions and you get a job and you start your career or whatever. Right. Or you go plant a vineyard or buy a vineyard. And that's also someplace else. And that, that's kind of what you do. So I just feel super lucky that I get to do both. You know, I just, I, I think this, and this, this kind of comes back to what we were talking about before too, where it's like being able to 
like travel and do cool things and also learn from cool people. It's like, I just, you know, the term, you know, um, have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I fucking hate that saying. I'm like, <laughs> who doesn't want their cake and also eat it? Like, I just, I've hated that saying my whole life. I'm like, this is stupid. Like I am going, I don't give a shit how hard I have to work or what I have to do. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have my cake and I'm going to eat it because cake is delicious. And I like, you know, I want to mm-hmm. have it and I want to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, I've just, I've tried my best to, to, to do that. Like with everything that I've done in my life and I've had the support of, of so many different people and and I don't, I don't just do that by myself. You know, I don't do that alone. So yeah, Sa- Sacramento is, Sacramento is awesome. You know, it's just such yeah. a, such a wonderful city. You know, it's in so many, in so many regards. Like I just never grow tired of it and I get bored with things so quickly. Like I just, if I'm like not into something, I'm like, eh, I'm over it, you know, and then I move on to something else or whatever. Like, I, you know, it's like Sacramento just, just Denver, it never bores me. It's just there's always something cool bubbling here. Somebody's always doing, moving the needle in some way, doing, making something delicious, making cool art, putting on a cool show, bringing somebody to town, like nurturing some artist, nurturing some idea, building some new concept, like trying to move what we're doing forward and make it more interesting and and also just kind of like holding on to like also what makes Sacramento cool, like from like where you know where where we were, where we came from, holding on to the past and. Mm-hmm. It's a mixture of all those things. And yeah, I just, I love here. I love, I love, I love, I love Sacramento. I love Sacramento people. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So how did you get into wine? That was um, something that happened in kind of a really organic, like non-industry related way. Like Mm -hmm. I think that I I just talked, we were talking about origin stories, you know, and so many people have like very similar origin stories, right? It's like, oh, like. I moved to town, you know, I was in my twenties and I moved to this town and I got like, I just, you know, I got a job at a wine shop and this mentor like took me on and like taught me a whole bunch of, and we tasted every day, every Thursday. And I learned everything about wine. And then I got a job at a restaurant. I was a sommelier and they had a huge wine program. It's like, and that's an awesome story. Like, I'm like, I'm like, man, like, I kind of wish that was my story. Cause like, <laughs> I'd pr- probably know a whole lot more about wine and I probably would have, you know, like drank a little bit more DRC at this point, you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, and I'm like, oh my god, man, that sounds like a cool story, you know. But a lot of the origin stories are kind of that, and it's like, I, you know, I had, I've always had mentors, and I've always had people who opened great bottles for me. So my story is not totally different in that way. But I just kind of came into wine like through, like the through like the the window, like through the open window of like starting to to really love food, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of where it began. I don't really even know how it started. Like I'm trying to remember, I always try to remember like what, like kind of the moment, but I, I just think that once I started realizing that I really liked to eat, you know, and like eating was like something what that, that brought me a lot of pleasure. Then I just started to go like, okay, like if I'm going to, you know, learn about food and I'm going to, and I want to eat better, I'm going to have to learn how to cook for myself. And so I just, that was kind of a really slow process of like trying to understand how to do that for myself. Like I was so terrible. Like when I first started, <laughs> like I knew nothing, you know, and my, my, um, my stepsister, um, Jen is a chef and she has been for many years. And so when I was like in my twenties and I was like, you know, just kind of learning how to cook for myself, you know, I would like, I'd be in the grocery store and be like, Hey, uh, I don't know. I kind of just want to make this thing. And like, like, I need to make a sauce. Like, how do you make sauce? And she'd be like, she'd be like, all right, like, okay, like get some, you need white wine, you need some shallots, you need some garlic. Like, you know, I like to throw a little mustard in there. You can like thicken it with this and blah, 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 like some stock. And like, and she would just kind of be like, here's how you kind of do this. And like, what? And I'm like, okay. I'm like, you know, I was just kind of like trying to figure out like how to do that. I think one of the first things I ever cooked for myself 
that I was like kind of proud of was like tri-tip. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I can cook tri-tip. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, like, okay. Good California You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, <laughs> tri-tip, sure. So it started at very humble, you know, very humble beginnings. And yeah. and then I remember the, I remember I, I, I tried to buy, I bought Cornish game hens one night mm. and I, and I, tr- I tried to cook them and it just came out just, I mean, it was just terrible. Like I just botched like the Cornish game hens, which is like. It's a step up from tri-tip. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, I remember, I remember trying to do that. I was just, I was really trying to cook for myself and that like kind of the food thing was obviously like very like tied to the wine thing. And so I ran into an old buddy who I had known for many years. We grew up together in East Sacramento and um, his name is Leon Moore. And he um, was working at uh, this wine bar, like one of the OG really cool wine bars. It was Mm -hmm. like, I think kind of ahead of its time. It was called L wine lounge. Okay. And so this was in Sacramento in downtown Sacramento on, on L street. So he was working there and he was kind of, like pursuing the sommelier route. And I kind of knew nothing about any of this. I didn't know what a sommelier was. I didn't know anything about wine. I had been kind of drinking wine, but it was like, it was like I went to Safeway, you know? Mm. And I was like, oh, like what label looks the most sophisticated? That's probably like the best wine on the shelf. And that's kind of, that's sort of the extent of what I knew about wine. Okay. And then I went in there and this is a very vivid memory. So I went in there one night with a roommate of mine at the time and then a couple other people that we were friends with and we sat at the table we sat at the table upstairs and leon was our server and he came up and we were ordering a glass of wine and they had um by the way this is not my aha wine okay i'm not i'm okay. not describing my aha wine okay, okay? <laughs> um because i don't i don't i don't really drink a whole lot of this wine but um but so he we were looking at the by the glass stuff and he, and it, there was a glass of chateau neuf du pop and i was like what is this he's like oh man He's like, this is like such a great glass of wine. He's like, it's crazy. Like it's got like, it tastes like leather and like cigar box and like gunpowder and black pepper. And he was like describing all these things, like a lot of like sec- what we would consider secondary, like non, non-fruit. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'd never fucking heard anybody talk about wine like that. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just had never heard anybody speak about wine in that way, you know? And I was just like, I can't wait to drink this. You know, I, I remember the anticipation building, like when we ordered the glass of wine and it was about to show up. Like, I think, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just like talking about it. And I remember just like drinking that wine and it was really kind of like, and you know, pe- again, people who are listening to this are going to be like, well, how come that's not your aha wine? Well, it's, it's not my aha wine because, you know, it's not the wine that really like made me want to like keep drinking wine. It was just the wine that like made me realize that wine was something really interesting. And it was like a really nice glass of wine. And I just hadn't really had that before because I had only really had grocery store wine, you know? And, you know, no, I'm not knocking all grocery store wine, by the way, but I think most of our listeners, your listeners will know what I'm talking about, like kind of the bottom of the shelf mass produced. So that was kind of it. And then and then Leon and I started drinking wine together and we kind of began, you know, hanging out and and, and kind of became super close friends, you know, after, after kind of a hiatus of, kind of doing our own thing. And he, uh, is, uh, from his family's from Australia and, um, he introduced me to Shiraz, Hmm. which is obviously Syrah. And so, you know, um, that was kind of like, that was the aha wine, you know, like Shiraz was like, we like, we cracked like a bottle of, you know, like Oh eight, I think it was like an Oh eight. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I can't. I can't remember the producer. Like I'm. Like this is why I'm not a sommelier because I have a shitty memory. Like I, I literally. I, I can. Re- I can recognize labels, you know, and I can taste wines and remember wines, but I just. I can't. I just. It's just. 
memorizing producers is just exhausting. I just don't have the memory for it anymore. He brought over an, like a like kind of an aged Shiraz, and I just remember being like, "Whoa, this is so dope!" Like, and I that's kind of the moment I fell in love with Syrah. Hmm. You know, and and again, like Tegan like loves Syrah, and the first wine I ever made was from a Syrah vineyard. Like, I mean, all that stuff is like not an accident. Mm-hmm. You know, all that right. that was like the beginning of all that. And and I wasn't working in the service industry, like at all. Okay. Like I was not I was not a server. I was not a sommelier. I was not a like I had worked a little bit in the industry, like kind of in my like mid to late teens, but like, I was not a wine guy. Wine was just pleasure. Like I was, I'm a hedonist. Like I just, I like, I love eating. I love drinking wine. Like, like I just, it was just pleasure, you know? And so I, I love that that's how it started for me because it like, it, 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 it grounded me in just the love of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then everything was, that was a um sort of a launching pad for everything else in my life, you know, um in, in the wine and food industry was just from a love of it, you know, from cooking to, to drinking wine. Like it's just, it's just those things have always been for me, you know? So how'd you decide to sort of transition into the wine industry with your internships and what was the impetus to try to get an internship in the the wine industry? Yeah. So that was kind of crossing things off of a list in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, That's kind of how I talk about it. I had started working in the industry before I I started learning to make wine. I you know I like did my like first level court um okay you know mm-hmm. at the at the Bellagio hotel in Vegas which is just so hilarious to me cuz <laughs> you're uh walking to uh participate in like a sensory uh, evaluation and just as you're just walking through cigarette smoke yeah. I was like <laughs> that was the first indication that this was not for me. Um, kind of funny. Um, yeah. And I kind of, I had, I had, I had a really bad experience at that. Um, and it just completely turned me off from being a sommelier. So that's, that's part of my answer. Um, so I was, you know, working in, in the industry and I was like kind of going down that road and I was trying to learn as much as I could about wine. And I was like studying and, you know, drinking a lot of wine and, um, and, you know, I had a lot of really great mentors in Sacramento. And so, I was like, okay, I'm okay at this, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not like, I'm not special. I'm not like super talented, you know, like I wasn't like, I wasn't, I didn't think that I was going to be this like amazing sommelier. And like, I didn't think that, um, I was going to do anything really important in that regard. Um, and then once I started to go down the route of like, of the the court and I, I kind of was like, okay, this is the route that you go to kind of get to this point. And I had some people that I was drinking wine with who were also kind of going that route. And I'm friends with a lot of people who are uh, sommeliers and who like are still involved in the court and who like have gone through, you know, who have become, you know, certified, like advanced, like I've known, you know, multiple people. And some of those people are like my close friends and are really, really good people. I just think generally speaking, like that group of folks who are like, or sommeliers, I just didn't really fit in with those people. I okay. felt in a lot of ways, just um, for various different reasons. Also, I've just never really been a joiner, you know? And so it's like, I just don't, you know, I kind of just like to kind of do my own thing and, and I like to do it my way. And that's kind of always how I've been. So that was not for me. So I kind of crossed that off. And then I, some of my friends who were sommeliers, like eventually became wine salesmen. And so I got to see that firsthand and I was like, okay, like I'm just too punk rock and 
I got too many tattoos and I swear too much like to be a, to put on a suit every day and try to sell wine, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's not for me. So I crossed that off. Um, and then working in the restaurant industry, I just knew was not sustainable. I was like, there's just no way that like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to enter into my like late thirties, forties, maybe even fifties and like still want to be like on the restaurant floor. So I was like, you know, bar manager, like floor som, like wine director, like that's not for me. So I crossed mm -hmm. that off. So I was just, I just was crossing off more things than I was circling things. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I really hadn't done was I hadn't worked to harvest. And so, um, so that's kind of where that idea came from. And, um, I really wanted to do that. And that idea came from, um, again, from sort of like wanting to shake things up in my life. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to like get out, kind of go, go away from Sacramento for a little while, go do something else, go live a different life, go try some other things, go see some different, uh, landscape. And I really wanted to kind of, I really wanted to kind of get out of uh, what I was doing at the time. And so, um, I was bailing hay in Oregon, okay. uh, two summers in a row. I was driving tractor, okay, which is kind of random. Different, yeah. Very different. Yep. Um, and that was a, was an, an old friend of mine. His family, uh, did that in, in the Willamette Valley. And so like, I just said, Hey, can I do that? And he was like, yeah, I'll set you up. So I did that for two summers in a row. I was in the Willamette Valley. I was drinking a lot of, I was at this time, this was like mm -hmm. 2015, 2016. So I was like full blown into wine. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I was like deep in the wine, wine, wine world. So I was like living in the Willamette Valley. I was like tasting a lot of wine. Yeah. I was like driving a tractor. I was like out in fields every day. And then my mind just kind of like, it just kind of went click, click, you know, and everything just kind of clicked into place. My buddy Tyler was like, hey, uh, Chris Pettinger is looking for an intern at Skinner uh, in El Dorado you should take that. And I was like, okay. So I called, I called Chris and we put it all together and I finished, uh, harvest. Well, so I had already worked in New Zealand. So I worked in okay. New Zealand just as for, for fun. I didn't know that I wanted to work in a cellar yet. Worked. I did that first. Then I bailed hay again that summer. And then I, and then when I was done in like August, I was in Portland on the phone with Chris and I took the took my first internship in a cellar. Okay. So it, it already kind of had started from like New Zealand. So it was like kind of 15 working like harvest baling hay in Oregon. Then 16 was kind of like was New Zealand and then working again in, uh, in, in the summertime and then hopping right. I was like, this is what, this is, this was my life. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. what's next? What's next? What's next? Yeah. What's next? What's next? You know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's kind of how, that's kind of how that, that all played out. Um, and then, yeah, and then the moment, like, literally just, like, that that harvest, like, the, my first harvest at, at Skinner in El Dorado, like, I just, it, like, immediately clicked. I was like, duh. Like, this is where you should be, you know? You love the outdoors, you know? You love agriculture. Like, you love, like, food. You love wine. You love, you love, um, uh, you love, you like, working with your hands, like, I've done that my whole life with everything that I've, yeah. you know, been interested in. And it just kind of all sort of like clicked for me, you know? I mean, I'm a klutz in the cellar, by the way. Like, <laughs> so like, it wasn't like, I wasn't a ballerina. Okay. You know, I wasn't very graceful, um, in the cellar, but it all clicked. And that's kind of how that's kind of, it was like the, a matter of just sort of like realizing that there was just certain paths that this weren't for me and trying to figure out what path was for me. And I, this was a little later, by the way, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really, 
I didn't start learning to make wine until I was like 33. Okay. You know, which is like you go, you look at, you look at interns in the wine industry and like, they were like, they're like, they were 10 years younger than me. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was also interesting <laughs> in a lot of ways. You know? Yeah. I mean, has its advantages and disadvantages being older, but it does sometimes, right. it, you know, sometimes you can be more ready for it and have a little different perspective on it. I think if, if you're a little older for something like that, I agree with that. And I also think that I, I knew what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe when you're, maybe when you're younger and you're like, you're, you're still kind of figuring some stuff out. You're like, is this for me? Do I like this? I mean, it's a lot like, you know, I've, I've always, I've always thought that the idea of like graduating from high school at 18 and then immediately going to college to like get a degree in something is just like the worst idea. Not by the way, going to college is awesome. And like, <laughs> and like, if you are pursuing higher education, I 1000% think that that's awesome. And I'm not discouraging that. I just think that like, you should try to do both. You should try to live a little life and go experience some stuff and like, and, you know, figure out kind of what it is that you really want to do with your life. I don't think that going to four years of college and like, and getting this like degree in this thing that you chose four years ago, or maybe you changed your major when you sort of figured out that you didn't want that, you know, maybe you were lucky you were able to do that. I just don't know if that's the route. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I just don't know if that's like the best way. like, I like, I lived some life. I did some things. I did some traveling, you know, I, I, I found what I loved and then I like, buckled down, got the work done, got to where I needed to be. And then, you know, and then, and then landed here where I am. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I wouldn't, I don't think that I would have been able to do that at like 19 or not. I mean, you know, I like, you know, as a college, you know, graduate or something, you know, out of Davis or something like that. I just don't know if I would have been able to college wasn't something that I was good at, you know, anyways. So I mean, that, that just wasn't the route for me. So I agree with you. I think that, you know, kind of being older, like put me into a more, like it put me into a, um, more, of an advantage in terms of me being able to, you know, focus and complete something. Yeah. And you probably learned what you loved and you probably learned what you hated and or disliked totally. in, in that life experience yeah. also. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, Chris Pettinger, who's, uh, he's the winemaker at Limerick Lane and also has a brand called Gravant, which those mm-hmm. wines are great. Mm-hmm. And, um, he told me when I, when I, when I first, first was like going down this route, I was like, okay, like, how does this work? You know? And he was like, yeah. So, you know, just, he's like, when you, he's like, one thing that you're, one thing that I will tell you is that when you work these internships, he's like, you're going to like, not only are you going to learn some things that you're going to carry with you, like your whole career, and they're going to be the foundation of what you do. He's like, you're also going to learn how you don't want to make wine. Mm. He's like, it's Mm -hmm. important to work jobs, making wine in a way that like, you don't want to make wine because you'll learn why you don't want to make it that way and why you don't want to do things this way. And that, and, and so make sure that you take those things in well, you know, learning the things that you don't want. Yeah. So after your internships and you're, you're making your, your barrel of Syrah at, at Turley, you decide to start the label. What was your next step from there? It's a pretty big jump. Once you have that first barrel, now you have to sell it. Yeah. I mean this, this, that part's, not like not like foggy as in I don't remember it, but that part's just foggy as in um, I left Turley in January of 2020. Okay, and the reason I left uh, is because I heard about a program at um, Folsom Lake College 
that was like basically like a viticulture analogy like program that they mm. were that they had introduced and this was to kind of service the wine making community in the foothills okay i think there was one class that was transferable it was not a transferable course this was a two-year program and it was a certificate right it wasn't like they weren't trying to pump you into fresno or pump you into into davis or whatever mm -hmm. it was like it was a program that was like just for folks to you know learn some things about about viticulture and enology and do it in a way that was affordable and accessible. Right. A little more of a certificate kind more of more certificate and also just kind of and, and also again to service like the, the foothills community because there's so many wineries and so many vineyards like in the foothills. Yeah. And so it was like there there wasn't really a program that was close to them for those people to access. Mm -hmm. So this was a great program. So I wanted to learn more. I could have stayed at, at Turley for like for who knows how many years and I could have learned everything you could possibly need to know about making great wine. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much in such a small period of time. And that is just a drop in the bucket of like kind of what I think I could have learned. But I was older and I was impatient. And <laughs> as I told you before, I really wanted to start my own thing. Yeah. So all those things kind of like came to a head and I just made a very, very tough decision to leave. So I went and, and I did that, that program and then, and then we all know what happened next. Yeah. Um, so I kind of was like, you know, I, 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 I was already in a very weird place, you know, cause it was like, okay, cool. Like you just quit your like very good, like full-time job. And, uh, you are now going back to part-time work and, or, or even just trying to find work period. And you're like going back to school, which you haven't done in like a long time. And you're not very good at that. <laughs> so like, so I was just like, my head was like in this just insane place as it was like the, the, my ground was shaky as it was. Yeah. My mind was shaky as it was. And then the pandemic hit and it was just like, what the fuck? You know, I just remember being like, I don't, it was, yeah, it was just, a, it was just a, every, a lot of us feel this way. Like it was just very strange. And, mm -hmm. um, and the rug got pulled up from underneath me and I think for for a good like four months, four or five months um, there, my mind wasn't really thinking about wine or winemaking. You know, my mind was in a thousand other places. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was topping my barrel. I was yeah. taking care of my wine. I wasn't like I wasn't like, oh, I don't care. You know, I was I was, I was taking care of the wine still. Um, and I had moved it to Harmeyer at that point. Okay. Yeah. So that, okay. I had already, that was like the beginning of making wine at Harmeyer. Okay. So, which was also a, like a total godsend. It was like, fuck, like, okay, at least I have my barrel in some place that's like safe. It's a winery. It's a place that's close to home. Everything, everything about that was just like perfect, you know? Yeah. And like, and I think I'm so thankful to Craig for, for taking me in, you know, like in that moment. Cause I, I mean, I couldn't imagine like having to figure anything else out otherwise. Cause I just was not in the space to do that, you know, even before the pandemic hit. And so that's kind of how that was. And then I was questioning everything. I was like, did I make the right decision? Like, should I be, should I make wine? Like, am I going to continue doing this? I was asking myself all those questions because I was just not in a good state of mind period. You know, mm -hmm. I was, I didn't, I, the pandemic was, I went through some, yeah, I, it was, it, it was hard for mm -hmm. me in, in my own way, just like it was hard for all of us in, in our own ways, you know, and my, I was not in a good mental state. And so I just, um, I wasn't super focused, 
you know, and again, you know, Tegan, you know, you know, Tegan was just like, <laughs> you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, he was just like, fucking snap out of it, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, he's good at that. You know, he's just like, dude, just like get your shit together, you know, bottle the fucking wine, you know, get it going, you know, get get your get your ABC permits and like and and do this like just that you're here. Like, just that's what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, just just do it. And I was like, and I just was like, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I'm okay. And I just, I just kind of needed that, like, I needed that shove. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just felt like I was like, I feel like the record was kind of skipping and I was just like, oh, and I just needed someone to just like kind of push the the needle forward and get it back on the, and just kind of get it back on track. And that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so able to do that yeah and so then then i was already at harmeyer you know so i bottled the i bottled the 19 syrah and mm-hmm. you know and and kind of pushed that around and you know then i added i added the fox creek old vine zinfandel so i made two wines in 20 mm-hmm. which those wines are i'm so proud of those wines like especially like the zinfandel it's just like the 20 zinfandel was just totally incredible and that was another like extremely challenging year it was insanely hot you know for mm-hmm. just days on end and there was a fire there were there were fires and so it was just yeah. another smoke here so it was just like crap like am i what is happening you know like am i am i am i gonna make smoke tainted wine like you know my very first like commercial vintage like it just you know it was just it was hairy dude everything was yeah. hairy it was just like you're just flying by the seat of your pants you're just like you're not thinking about like um you're not thinking beyond what's in front of you Mm-hmm. that's how harvest is like you can't you can't think about like i mean yes you're making plans because you're like okay i need to pick this then like you're doing that but it's like you're not like oh like what's this gonna be in six months or like where am i gonna be at in a year like you just you're, like at that moment i was just like what is what is this fermentation like what is happening <laughs> like you know like is this okay like oh my god you know and it was just a lot of that like in the beginning and so i mean to me it was just kind of like a little bit of a miracle to like make two really that I thought were really great wines like in 2020 that I'm super proud of. Like I was just like, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, like that's just a, a miracle that that happened. And then, you know, we kind of already talked about the 21 vintage. So that's kind of how that all started. You know, it was just sort of like this big, like big hiccup, you know, mm-hmm. and wasn't quite sure how I was going to come out of that. And then was able to, was, was fine. And, 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 and in retrospect, I mean, the, you know, the pandemic was, really sort of the perfect opportunity, you know, because it was like a lot of us just kind of had, like, we just had a lot of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot people, of changes, yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. A lot of changes, mm-hmm. a lot of time, you know, um, you know. Can you tell me a little bit about that Fox Creek vineyard? Fox Creek, uh, is, um, a vineyard that is located in the Shenandoah Valley in Amador County. And it is one of the oldest, uh, vineyards, uh, in the, in the region. So it's, it's been around, you know, since the like, you know, sort of like late 1800s, like early 1900s. Okay. Um, and it's changed hands a few times over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, a very well-known vineyard in the sense that like many different winemakers have made wine from the vineyard over the years. You know, the, the Gots like kind of okay. got, got their start there. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, they, you know, they they started uh, a winery there. Ba- basically, Carrie Gotts, Carrie Gotts wife's father kind of purchased the property many years ago. Is that the Montevina? Montevina, exactly. Yep. So that's, and so Joel kind of like, you know, there's like pictures of Joel, like, you know, driving tractor and like, you know, on the property and like, you know, that's, 
there's some, there's that history there. Mm-hmm. I can't speak too much about that because I don't, I don't really know the Gott family. So, you know, that's, that's, a, those are, you can, we can have them, them tell those stories, but, um, and then James and Sue Fox bought the vineyard and have farmed it. James, James has now passed away. And, and so Sue is, Sue continues to, to farm the, farm the vineyard. It went to certain blocks went to, um, Buck Cobb, uh, from, okay. from Carly. And so he was making wine from, from that vineyard. And it was like one of his, you know, sort of prized like Zinfandel wines and Zinfandel based wines. And so he kind of, I think that he was kind of one of the guys that kind of in the modern age kind of like was putting it on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were, there were other producers that were, that were making wine from that, from that vineyard as well. But I think he was kind of one of the guys, cause you know, if you look back, you know, on the like kind of seventies and eighties and nineties that time during, um, during, you know, sh- kind of Shenandoah Valley, like winemaking, there was a very small group of people who were, who were making like what I would consider fine wine, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and Carly was like certainly, you know, in that very small group of people. And so like he, you know, he was kind of, he knew that he knew the potential of that fruit and he knew um, the quality of it and he was making some great wines. So I got turned on to it through my buddy, Mark Fowler, okay, who's the um, winemaker at Andis. And I met Mark when I was at Skinner because he was the, um, he was the associate winemaker there. And, uh, Mark is one of my like closest friends. He's, um, he like grew up in a cellar, you know, mm, Okay. and his family like owned, um, a winery in, in Amador and they planted a vineyard. And so he like literally just grew up in a, in a, in a winery and he has worked at many different wineries in the foothills. And he's, I think just one of the most like talented, knowledgeable, most like down to earth, like I just, I just, I can't say this enough. I just feel like Amador County is just like, and, and just the foothills in general are just like so lucky to have that dude. And so I, I kind of got my foundation, my foundation for winemaking. I got that from him. Mm, okay. And so he was really the first dude that like taught me like how to work in a cellar, uh, with cleanliness, okay, with efficiency, uh, with intention, and do things in a way where like you're you like you're not being a dumbass, yeah. you know. And so he like really was kind of like the guy who kind of gave me my my the foundation that I have to this day. And so Mark, I you know when I was when I was um, looking to make a second wine in 2020, I was talking to Mark and I was like, hey, you know, like if you know of anything, like I'd love to make some Zen. You know, I'd love to make some old wines in. He was yeah. like, hey, you know, I know that um, Fox Creek has this old like super old vine block. It's like the original like planting that's mm, left. Wow, there is, nice. it's like centennial vines. Um, it's the only block that's left from the original planting. Okay. And I know that like, it doesn't really go anywhere. Like I don't think anybody takes it or whatever. And it's like, so, you know, I'm sure you could give them a buzz and like, I'm sure you could ask about getting the fruit. And so sure enough, I called over there and I just met up with one of the vineyard, vineyard guys, Willie. And, and he was like, yeah, man, it's yours. And I was like, so, I mean, it's just, it's, it's microscopic. It's just like mm-hmm. tiny little, corner end of of the silt it's like a teardrop and it's kind of the end of the teardrop and it's like this tiny little block and old old like gnarly like super super old vines you know the, the vineyard's dying the block is dying mm-hmm. it's got phylloxera like most likely um i mean i don't think that's been totally confirmed but like you can kind of tell like it's just sort of very very slowly dying so i made the 2020 wine like kind of exclusively like from that block okay so i made like a very i mean I mean, I think I barely squeaked out a barrel, mm-hmm. you know, I think I had to like, you know, I had to like, you know, I had to like figure out some topping wine. Yeah. Like it was like, I barely filled a barrel, Yeah, you know? Yeah. 
And so that's why that wine is just like so good because it's like 100% from that like old vine block. Is that old vine Zin? Is it all Zin? In in that yeah sorry did I not block? did I not say that yeah well sorry. no I, 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 I was just I was just, yeah you you did say it was Zinfandel I didn't know if there was like interplanting or yeah, anything for, like that like for, if there's some Barbera hanging out in the corner of it or, first of all it's not that big okay to even like to even try to figure out if there's like something else interplanted um, I'm sure there might be a vine or two and maybe at some point there was a vine or two maybe those ones are dead I have no idea um, but. Pretty much what's there is Zinfandel. But it's, it's Zinfandel. It's, yeah, it's, yeah okay. it's mostly yeah. Zinfandel. There's interplantings in the other blocks. Okay. For sure, yeah. Including some white varieties. I just, I mean, I, I made the wine uh, and I just was like, I, I had tasted the wine before because Andis had, had made the wine. And so I was able to taste, you know, with, with Mark and, and kind of like, I knew what the wine tasted like. I, and, I, and I always really liked it. I was like, oh man, I just, I just love like, it just has this like very intense like raspberry uh, flavor, which I just really love. And the wine is just so aromatic and it's just it's just such a pleasure to drink. Mm-hmm. The wine is I, I can't I, I don't want to get too like geeky or technical with it. It's just like the wine is the wine has so much pleasure when you drink it. And so when I made the 20, I was just like, oh, my God, this is like this wine is so awesome. So I kind of, you know, I tried to duplicate that in, you know, in 21 and I, I picked all of that vineyard plus a little bit from across the creek, which um, is a, like a, you know, a younger block, which is like, you know, okay. in, in air quotes, uh, uh, you know, 80, 80 plus years old. So I kind of filled in the bins with that. So that was still like kind of like 100% old vine stuff. And then this year I picked two separate. So I, I picked some slightly younger stuff, some kind of like 40 year old stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I made I made wine from that, which is excellent. Same plant material when they replanted. Okay. And so that's like t- same clone. So it's like just the wine is so great. And then I picked the the old vine, my little old vine block. And then I filled in another bin from across the creek again. And I fermented that separately. Okay. Uh, and then I, I I pressed that and it's been aging in a 500 liter puncheon. Oh. And nice. so that's going to be kind of like an, like I'm going to do like an kind of an old vine bottling. Mm-hmm. And then very, very sadly, I learned this year that they're actually they're they're ripping it out. Oh, so really? so so this okay. this is so this is the last year that I'll make wine from from the 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 oldest the oldest vines, stuff. and okay. then after this year it's gone. Oh, that's so too bad. It is it is too bad. So I think that I, I you know we got a lot of rain, and I'm hoping that I'm hoping that it crops to like at least like I'm, I'm like I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that like I, I can get like at least like a half ton which means I could just make, I could make a barrel. Like I would just love to just make just like the, in the last year that the, that the vines are in the ground. I'd love to just make, you know, that same wine that I made in 2020, mm-hmm. like what works just a hundred percent from that block just to honor the block kind of one last time. Yeah. So 2023 is the, that's it. That's the end. As far okay. as I know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the news that I got. Yeah. So, so things are already changing in the like very short period of time that I've been making wine up there. Like, yeah, some things are not going to be available to me and, some new doors have opened, you know, some doors yeah. closed, some doors open, you know? Yeah. So the, you know, the wines are, the wines are changing, the wines are evolving, you know, and, and you know, I, I started making Lodi wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're making the wines out there in yeah, Lodi I make the wines also in Lo- now? I make the wines right. in Lodi. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, a, um, it's called Lodi Crush. Okay. Yeah. So Gerardo Espinosa there, he's, um, super lovely dude. Like just, he's such a good guy. Like I'm so happy that I got, that I get to, you know, make the wines there and he's, we're just, you know, I, I try to be a good roommate, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a pain in the ass, you know, 
but uh but he you know he he puts up with me and and so it's, yeah it's, we've i've only been there a year so we're gonna move into year two so hopefully hopefully we have a good good harvest and i'm looking forward to making more lodi wine mm-hmm. yeah you know? so that's I'm, I'm gonna grow that part of my portfolio yeah you have you some know? uh well the the spring release wines you have I guess uh, one is all Lodi and the other is pretty good portion of Lodi, right? Exactly. The yeah. Cinso and then the yeah the, the yeah the Cinso the, the, the twenty two Cinso from Kirschman. Yeah. So all those are available on the website. <laughs> <laughs> Perchwineco.com. Go buy some wine. The Syrah. Um, how much whole cluster are you doing on that? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. All day long. Yeah. Okay. Same thing with the Cinso. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, it's like you know, I think that if you talk to a lot of um, winemakers who 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 uh, make whole cluster wine, it's like it's all or nothing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, I know some people experiment with stuff. They're like, oh, we did twenty five percent or fifty percent or this this block was or this lot was a hundred percent whole cluster, and then we blended it with this stuff that wasn't or whatever. And I get that. And I'm not saying that those wines are bad or whatever. I'm not. I'm not saying that's like not the way to do it. Um, and also, I don't have enough data, you know, from my own wines to definitively say that you know, or whatever. But I just, I mean, it's like, if I'm, if I'm going to do whole cluster, it's just like, it's just, it's whole cluster, you know, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to mess around, you know, and like try to, you know, do partial this or partial that or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, the only, the only thing that I, that I, that I have done that I experimented with just because I could at that moment. And I just kind of was like, whatever, we'll just see what happens is that in the, with the 21 Zinfandel, I destemmed all the fruit and then I added back like 10% stems. Okay. So I just I just put a little bit of stems into the fermentation mm-hmm. just to like give it a little bit of more texture, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more tannin, maybe a little bit more like stuffing, if you will, because I yeah. knew the wine was low sugars. So I, it was kind of me to sort of preemptively like trying to kind of fill in some spaces with the wine if yeah. I could, you know. Which I'm I'm happy that I did that because I think that I think that it was a good decision and definitely like you know it definitely has helped the wine in a lot of ways you know so I think it has has you know made the wine a little bit more interesting so but yeah, yeah no I mean I think I think whole cluster is the way to go like with with you know hundred percent whole cluster is the way to go with definitely with the Syrah yeah it really comes through on the Syrah yeah, totally the, the whole cluster so it makes it lovely and I've I've always wine. really loved whole cluster wines you know like they've I you know I I've drank. Some of the, some of the best wines and some of the wines that like stick out of my memory and that just like kind of bring me the most pleasure. Like they, a lot of them have been whole cluster wines, you know, whole cluster Carignan and whole cluster, you know, Gamay, you know, Beaujolais and like whole cluster Syrahs and whole cluster Pinot Noir, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I mean, there's just like so many great whole cluster wines, you know, um, that I that I'm just like that I totally totally vibe with. So um, it's been fun to make the wines like that. Plus, like, yeah, I mean, to be fair, like from a winemaking winemaking perspective, it's like, you know, just yeah. dump, just dump it in, <laughs> dump it in, like give it a tread, and you know, yeah, stomp it's it like, a little you know, bit, like, and, and like, and in terms of like processing, you know, you have a like, you know, you have like, you have whole cluster wine coming in, and you're like, you're like, hey man, we're not we're not dirtying any equipment, <laughs> <laughs> we're just popping it right into the fermenter, you know, what I mean, don't no sorting table, no uh, no no crusher. No D stemmer, like you know. I mean, from from a just from a, a like a, an easy day yeah, on the crush practical pad. standpoint. Yeah, it's just yeah. like I mean, I'm like fuck. I wish I wish I could just make everything whole cluster. You know, it's like from you know just from a lazy standpoint. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have so. your uh, you have your eye on some other fruit in in Lodi that you'd like to? Yeah, for sure. To? I mean, I I don't I 
I mean, I don't, I have my eye on things, but I'm not going to talk about those things just cause like, I don't want like, you know, I don't want to be talking, you know, be counting my chicks before they're hatched. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, there's the, and also the thing is, is that, you know, I've been making wine from, from the foothills and been making wine in the foothills for other people, you know, for, you know, since like basically, you know, 2016, you know, so I've been able to get to know some of the vineyards up there and I kind of know some of the great vineyards up there. And it's taken me, you know, it's taken me that long to just to get a base knowledge of like of some of the, the vineyards yeah. up there. And that's and I feel like I've only kind of I only know so much. And there's still there's still a lot of great vineyards out there that I that I don't know of and that I haven't tasted wine from. And so there's still a lot to learn there. But like Lodi is like is I mean, I'm just the tip of the iceberg there. Like I have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I know. Yeah. I know a handful of vineyards because certain people that I really like and whose wines I like, you know, the, the precedent wines, you know, mm, like, mm-hmm. you know, those wines are just fantastic. And, you know, obviously like, you know, Sandland, the Sandlands wines from, you know, Tegan's stuff from, from Lodi. And there's just, a, there's like some producers that I really like that are making some great Lodi wines. And so I, I kind of am familiar with some of the vineyards, but I'm still getting to know them. So, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to make, I'm just not really interested to make wine from vineyards that, that like that that that, are, that aren't interesting and great. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm only making a little bit of wine, so it's not like I have this like gigantic facility and I have a huge case production and I can just you know play around with different lots every year. I have to be more intentional. You yeah. know, I have to be really intentional with like with the wines I'm making. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really have the space or the like luxury to like make wine from a vineyard that's not very interesting and then make a wine that's not very interesting and then just be like, you know, and then blend it away or something. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Or like put it in my like, you know, second label or something like that. Like I just don't really have the luxury to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, everything that I put the, put my label on, like I want it to be something that I'm like really proud of and something that's like, I'm like, Hey, like I picked this for a reason. You yeah, know what I mean? Course. I'm making this yeah. wine for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. again, coming back to that conversation we were having earlier, you know, like, with, you know, making the wines with intention. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the label name and the artwork? Totally. Yeah. So, um, so Perch Wine Company, Perch is, comes from, uh, like as in, as in a bird perched. Mm -hmm. So, um, my family, you know, my mom and my, my, uh, you know, my sister Miranda and myself, like we've all like kind of always been interested in, in like birds and like bird watching. And that passion started when, my parents owned um, about six acres uh, in the mm. south area of Sacramento. And so our region is on the Pacific Flyway. And so there's like a lot of bird species that come uh, in and out of our area um, over the course of the year. And w- there's vernal pools that are out there. And so we would have we would just, we would just have a lot of birds that would come, you know, kind of in and out of that area. And so like I just, you know, we had a pair of binoculars and I, you know, I lived out there, uh, for a while with them. And and so I just got really kind of like, I just kind of, I just got, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was just sort of like something that I really enjoyed doing. I always really enjoyed hiking and camping, being yeah. out in nature. I've always really loved animals. And so like, you know, bird watching was just kind of like that, that thing that I was just sort of, that I latched onto. So I've just been got, got into birds. And, and so when I, when I started the, when I started the brand, you know, I just wanted something that was just sort of like very like genuine and just represented who I was and, and just kind of was very, Mm -hmm. very true to who I was as a person. And so I, I knew that I wanted it to be bird related. Okay. I couldn't come up with a name. I was having a super hard time. 
one of my close friends and um, uh, two of my close friends, like it, my friend Jonathan Klonicky and his wife Michelle, I was over at their house one night in the backyard and we were having we were having dinner. And it was kind of one of those like kind of like COVID ish dinners mm-hmm. where you're like in the backyard, like like everyone's so everyone's kind of like spaced out, yeah. and, you know, kind of thing. And like we're all sort of just we hadn't really a lot of us hadn't seen each other like in person. So we're like kind of catching up, like talking about our lives. And I'm just kind of like lamenting about how I'm having a hard time coming up with a name. And she just sort of appears, you know, from the kitchen, you know, with with something in her hand to like drop off the table. And she's like, she's like, well, what about perch? You know, just like that. Yeah. And uh, and it was just very like it was very just sort of in the moment. And I was like, that's it. You know what I mean? I was like, and it was just there wasn't even a question. There wasn't a conversation about it. There wasn't I didn't have to think about it. It was like, that's it. You know, and I just made sure that like nobody else had it. And then I just immediately kind of like got got going on it. So that's that's where the name came from. And then the birds, um, I draw all the birds. So those are all those are all sketches that I have done in the past or that I do uniquely for each label. They're just little like, um, you know, pen and ink, Mm -hmm. a little bit of watercolor um, sometimes on the sketches. They're pretty intentional. Like the the birds, like the the bird that's on the Zinfandel is a black Phoebe. My mom is a um, is a big fan of Zinfandel. She's a Zinfandel drinker, and so I asked her what bird she wanted mm. um, on the Zinfandel, and she said she wanted a black Phoebe. So that's the bird we put on there. And then the um, bird that's on the Syrah is a turkey vulture, and so that is a bird that is just ubiquitous up in the foothills mm. and all like really all over California. Yeah. And a bird that I just think is like sort of understated and kind of underappreciated and just such an interesting like kind of cool bird. So that's the bird that's on there. The bird that's on the Sauvignon Blanc that we're drinking is a Sandhill Crane. And that one's not super intentional because Sandhill Cranes are not, um, they're not hanging out in Amador County. You know what I mean? Um, I just, that label was just like very intentional for different ways. Like the pink or sort of like, I, I, I think of it as more of like mauve. You know, that's that's what we were kind of going for. That color was like intentional and like I just kind of wanted the label to look really neat. It was like the first white wine that I made. And so I kind of wanted to just be like something that was like kind of different than the other labels. And so that's kind of how that came together. And then the Sinso has a Swainson's hawk with some cherries dangling out of its mouth because that is from the Kirschman vineyard in mm-hmm. Lodi, Tegan's vineyard. Mm-hmm. And so uh, <clears throat> there is a Swainson's hawk that lives uh, in or a mating pair that lives in a tree just over the river past the vineyard because the vineyard's in an oxbow. Oh, very and, cool. Um, and so that was a very easy selection. Yeah, so the, yeah, so that's kind of where the birds come from. I sort of just, I try to, you know, figure out a bird that 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 should go on there that kind of fits with, with like the label and the wine and like the place and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You know, I think it's important that, I think it's important that folks understand that I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the Indie Wine podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm on this podcast for a reason because I'm I'm like I'm an I'm an independent, like small, like micro like wine producer, yep. you know? And um I'm growing this I'm growing this brand and I'm growing this this business, you know, because it is a small business, you know, and it's there's no other way to look at it, you know. And um it's 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 hard, you know, it really it's challenging. Like mm-hmm. I've I've seen other small producers like in our industry who make way more wine than I do, by the way, who are still considered like very, very small producers. 
you know, I mean, I think, I think in the world of wine, like sub 10,000 cases is considered a small winery, you know, mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that, that's a lot of wine. It is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 10,000 cases is a lot of wine. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a different tax bracket, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I am not in the, I am not anywhere near that. You know, I make, I made 400 cases last year. So like in order for me to kind of continue to do this and do what I'm doing really essential for me, really important for me to grow my DTC, right? DTC is direct to consumer. What does that mean? That means buying wine, like, like on my website, like directly from me, you know? And that's like super, super important. And I, I'm so happy that my wines are at like some wine shops in, in Sacramento and are at places like Cordy Brothers and different wine bars like Betty and Good News and Nico and shops like Beyond Napa. And like, I mean, there's just so many great places in Sacramento that I love that, you know, that have been have been supporting the wines. And I'm so happy that those wines are there. And I'm and that introduces my wines to people that normally wouldn't wouldn't find my wine through me or through my Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, it's just, I just want people to know that like, if you're, if you're, if you really want to support like an indie wine brand, an independent wine producer, you should 1000% like buy it directly from them, you know? And yeah. I know that might be less convenient and I know it might be a little bit more money because maybe you have to pay for shipping. Um, I totally understand that. Um, and I'm not saying that you should feel guilty if you buy it at the wine shop. I'm happy that you buy the wines anywhere you find them. And I'm always going to feel that way. But I just think that it's really important, you know, for folks to realize that, you know, in order for small producers like me to, to really grow our brands and to grow what we're doing and to kind of continue to evolve and keep these wines, you know, kind of, you know, out there, um, in the world and, 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 and available to, to folks, it's important that they, you know, you know, try to support, the winemakers like directly, you know, and that's like ordering directly on their websites. Thanks for listening today to our interview with Adam. He's only a few vintages in, but already making really refined and great wines. They're available in stores, but the spring release is live right now on his website. If you want to grab some bottles directly from the source, perchwineco.com or perchwineco on Instagram. You can follow the podcast on wherever you're listening, on Instagram at IndieWinePodcast, and feel free to email IndieWinePodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or feedback. If you can tell your wine friends about the podcast too, I'd really appreciate it. There's also now a Patreon set up if you feel like supporting the podcast to hopefully allow more episodes, more travel, and to help defray other costs. Link is in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode. Have a good one. Bye.